Oral questions by members? Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Another day, another report showing that BC has the highest cost of living in Canada. By every measure, life under this NDP Premier is getting more expensive from housing to gas to groceries. Bruce in Vancouver, well, he's cutting back on essentials like vegetables and he's expressing the stress. And I quote, I have a heart attack looking at the prices. I can barely afford life with paying for groceries right now. End quote. When will this Premier give people a break on home heating, fuel and groceries so they can afford to put food on their tables? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. And nobody wants to be in a situation like Bruce is, standing at the vegetable counter and making tough decisions, because people are facing difficult decisions right now. With global inflation, with high interest rates, the squeeze on household budgets is really real. Mr. Speaker, people do need help with costs. The BC United has put forward a plan, but it is the wrong approach. Mr. Speaker, they want to walk back on climate action, despite being the party that brought a price on pollution. They want to address short-term pain, but they have a plan that's going to give a subsidy to oil companies, Mr. Speaker. It's not going to help people with gas prices. It's not going to help put money back into people's pockets. In fact, Mr. Speaker, as we've canvassed already, Jason Kenney introduced a similar cut, and even he admitted it didn't work. Mr. Speaker, it didn't work in Alberta. It wouldn't work here. And we know this. They know it too. Member for Surrey White Rock, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the minister can read off the script that she has prepared day in and day out. But what we know is that this government is completely out of touch. Let's hear the question, please. This minister is completely out of touch with reality. And we see that day in and day out. Families deserve a break. And Natalie says, and I quote, Members. You want to heckle these stories? They can heckle these stories. These are actual people, and if this government wants to laugh at these people, that's their prerogative. But Natalie says this. They want to laugh at Natalie, but Natalie says this. She says, and I quote, Members. Members, let's, let's hear the question, please. Members. Natalie says, and I quote, if you don't believe how expensive life is in BC, I spend $102. And do you know how long that food's going to last me? Two to three days, end quote. When will this Premier end the NDP's middle class squeeze and give people like Natalie a break on home heating, fuel, and groceries? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. And, and we know that uh, global inflation, uh, in, uh, interest rates are causing real issues in BC and, and right across the country. We hear about it right across the country. And to that, we respect and understand people like Natalie are, are struggling. And that's why we have bought in, brought in significant affordability measures, measures to help people, because we recognize that people need help right now. It's not the time to make cuts. It's not the time to cut services to people. It's the time to ensure that we can help people. And we are doing that, Mr. Speaker, in a number of different ways. We are doing that with our childcare program, which is putting up to $900 a month back into people's pockets. 
Mr. Speaker, we did that with our MSP Cup. What we did is we cancelled the MSP. That was a That put up to $1,800 back into people's pockets. And that was a regressive tax. It tax you know, it, you paid $1,800 whether you made $50,000 a year or $500,000 a year. And we cut that and put the biggest tax cut for people in this province, put the money back into their pockets. Member for Kelowna Mission. A government drowning in debt cannot be the lifeguard for an economy that is struggling to breathe. There is a huge gap between the NDP rhetoric and the daily reality for people like Amber Davis. Amber says, and I quote, it's getting harder and harder to live here. The middle class squeeze is for real, end quote. People like Amber can't make ends meet anymore, and the NDP's record-breaking inflationary deficits are making things worse, not better. When will the Premier ease the squeeze on essentials like fuel, groceries and home heating for people like Amber? Minister of Finance. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and the member is, is accurate in the sense that people are struggling right now. We understand that. And that's why we have brought in significant affordability measures for people. That's why we are supporting people. And, and they keep, one member keeps referring to taxes. One of the taxes member. that we have brought in was the, the, the speculation and vacancy tax. And that tax shh, shh, shh. has created thousands, thousands of housing units in this province. Housing units which people desperately need. We're committed to ensuring that people get the housing they need, they get the supports that they need, not cuts, not service cuts, and we will keep supporting people. Go on a mission supplemental. Well, we're not going to be cutting anything when we get into government except the NDPs. Except members. Shh. Members, members. Let's hear the question, please. Members, let's hear the question. Please, member, continue. The only thing that we'll be cutting is the NDP's corporate giveaways and pointless bureaucracy, like the community ripoff agreements. Members, it's only Tuesday, members. Come on. Members, members, members. After seven years and two elections of broken promises, life has never been more expensive for young British Columbians. Thanks to the NDP's middle-class squeeze, a new BCAA report finds 60% are barely scraping by. Half say their jobs don't even cover basic essential living costs anymore, like fuel, heating, and food. This Premier is making things worse, not better, with his record-breaking inflationary deficits that continue to shrink people's paychecks. When will the Premier admit that his policies are failing, not just Bruce and Natalie and Amber, but an entire generation of young people who are struggling daily due to the failures of this NDP government? Minister of Finance. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and we know that people in BC are facing real challenges right now. And we are making thoughtful investments to support people now and for the long term. You know, the opposition's response to economic challenges, Mr. Speaker, was to increase fees and cut services to people. You know, they members, members, they did members, <laughs> members, please continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, they left a legacy of deficits. They left deficits in the housing we need that people want to live in. You know, they, left, they cut to schools and hospitals that people rely on and the infrastructure for growing communities. You know, I would ask the members opposite, would they not, I mean, they voted against it, to give every community in this province thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions in some cases, to, re, to invest in their infrastructure, to ensure that they can build those houses so they have the infrastructure that people in this province need. I mean, the cuts underneath the former government was substantial. I mean, you just have to look at that. They never funded people on social assistance to the degree they should have been. They cut people with social assistance. I mean, I, I can go on the number of cuts they've made, but instead, we are going to support people in this province. We're going to continue to provide services that people need. House Leader of Third Party. Mr. Speaker, you know who's not feeling a squeeze on their budget? BC Hydro and Site C. How much? Well, we actually don't know, Mr. Speaker, because it's been cloaked in site secrecy. And that's a slogan that even the BC United can use royalty free. I dare them to ask a question about Site C. But anyway, secrecy and hypocrisy every step of the way for this project, Mr. Speaker. The Site C dam will flood 128 kilometres of the Peace River, destroying some of Canada's best farmland, habitat for more than 100 species at risk, Indigenous burial sites, and traditional hunting, trapping, and fishing grounds. When in opposition, the BC NDP government adamantly opposed the project, uh, with former uh, Premier Horgan saying that Site C sucks. But he changed his mind and he forged ahead, Mr. Speaker. The project is a year behind schedule, and the last real number that the former Premier uh, gave us was that the $6.8 billion project is now costing 16. But is it 16, 17, 20? Nobody really knows. Everything around us, the price of everything around us is going up, Mr. Speaker. It's hard to believe that the, site, the price for Site C stayed the same through you to the Minister of Energy. Just how much is this dam costing us? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I know that the member understands that we know our power demands going forward in this province are significant and that we are relying on a call for power coming this spring, that we are going to be relying on Site C coming online. Mr. Speaker, this is important because people are making the decision to switch the way they transport themselves, the way they heat their homes, and they're relying on BC's clean electricity. Mr. Speaker, Site C remains on track to be completed within the approved $16 billion budget. But, Mr. Speaker, let's not forget that the old government rushed to push Site C past the point of no return, and that cost billions of dollars without proper, without proper oversight. Mr. Speaker, we were left to manage this, in project, this project that we inherited. We know we need the electricity. We're going to be using it to make the switch that people want to make, BC's clean electricity. House Leader, third-party supplemental. This government has managed 
the price right through the roof. That's all that they've done, is manage the price of this down right through the roof. And who's on the hook, Mr. Speaker? The ratepayers are on the hook. British Columbians are on the hook, Mr. Speaker. And you know what? The, the minister can say that, that British Columbians are going to get this energy, but we know who's going to receive the electricity from this dam, and that's going to be their buddies in the LNG industry. That's who's going to receive it. And, and actually, the frackers right now, what they want is BC Hydro to build power lines to their fracking sites so that they can call their fracking operations green, Mr. Speaker. I was there last summer. I toured Site C, and I thank the minister for helping set that up. And I saw what was flooded and what will be lost forever, Mr. Speaker. The environment, First Nations, farmers, the wildlife in the peace are all paying the unaccounted costs for this project. I just learned that 24 active bear dens are going to be flooded uh, very shortly. And those who are trying to protect the bear dens are struggling to find out when exactly uh, the, the dam will be flooded. So my question is through you to the minister responsible for energy. Uh, when will BC Hydro begin flooding the dam and filling the reservoir? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Right now, BC Hydro is making a determination as to when they will be able to flood the reservoir and begin the, the work of uh, activating the turbines and delivering clean electricity, electricity to British Columbia. Mr. Speaker, BC Hydro is reaching out to communities, working with First Nations, speaking to people about what that means and what they can expect to see as the flooding begins. Mr. Speaker, as soon as we have that information, we will share it with the member and all members of this House. Thank you. Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. British Columbians are struggling with everyday costs, there's no question there. Energy is one of the three key things they need to survive in this province. It was interesting that in this meeting coming out uh, from back east of the Premier's, Canadian Press was reporting that Canadian Premiers are united in their criticism. They're united in their criticism when it comes to the discussion on the carbon tax. And in fact, the Premier himself in, in, the, uh, in the press, he's reported saying he supports fair treatment for all Canadians. Fair treatment for all Canadians. So my question to the Premier is this. Does the BC NDP Premier really believe that fair treatment for all Canadians means struggling British Columbian families have to continue to pay the punishing carbon tax while Canadians and other provinces are getting much needed relief on home heating? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. We know, and the Premier said this when he was uh, back east with the other Premiers, that we're committed to taking climate action, and the carbon tax is the central part of taking climate action. That's accepted around the world, even if the members of the fourth party don't understand that. But the way we've structured the carbon tax is to take the proceeds to invest in British Columbians through the climate action tax credit which we are in the process of doubling. We invest in decarbonizing industry through the Clean BC Industry Fund. We help industry be competitive and reduce emissions because we know that puts them on a good platform for the future to create good jobs for British Columbians, which will help people in our province with the cost of living. We have a range of supports that we offer British Columbians, whether it's through recycling carbon tax income, whether it's through a range of benefits or programs like childcare. When you add it all up, British Columbians are far better off under this government than they were for decades. 
Leader of the Fourth Party Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the reality is the carbon tax is taking $3 billion today out of the pockets of British Columbians, and it's going to go up by $750 million a, a year up until 2030. When you add that together, that's the equivalent of today giving a 60% increase in today's terms in terms of personal income tax increases to people in this province. And I can't understand how this minister could even fathom that that is fair or affordable for the people in this province. Mr. Speaker, the people in Atlantic Canada are getting relief. They're getting relief on the carbon tax on home heating. Quite frankly, the carbon tax needs to be completely eliminated. But how is it actually is that fair, fair for this Premier to stand up and say all Canadians should be treated fairly when one part of this country is getting relief from the carbon tax and British Columbians are getting the shaft? Mr. Speaker, the carbon tax was introduced in 2008. As a matter of fact, the, the leader of the official opposition called it one of his proudest moments in government to introduce him the carbon tax. And I love how that touches a nerve with them in terms of their flip-flop, but that's just wonderful to see. Members, members, members. But since 2005, greenhouse emissions in this province have question. declined by only 3%. And consumption of fossil fuels has been raged per, per capita has been consistent with other provinces, Let's despite question, the fact please. that we have the highest carbon taxes. So clearly, Mr. Speaker, Member there question. are better ways to protect this environment than the NDP's failed carbon tax grab. Will this NDP Premier treat will this NDP Premier <coughs> commit to treat all British Columbians fairly, unlike what both sides of this House would like to do? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. This government instituted the largest middle class tax cut in British Columbia history when we took MSP premiums out of the picture. And the leader of the fourth party opposed that. When the leader of the fourth party was a member of government under the then BC Liberal Party, they raised hydro rates, they raised ICBC rates, they cut services while they were cutting income taxes for the top 2% in this province. <laughs> Honourable Speaker, the leader, of the, first, uh, the leader of the fourth party is simply wrong. As the carbon tax goes up, so does the amount of money we give to British Columbians, low and middle income British Columbians through the Climate Action Tax Credit, and we are working toward giving British Columbians, a significant majority of British Columbians, more back in the tax credit than they pay in carbon tax. At the same time, we'll also increase the money Thank that you. we give to industry to decarbonize, and we will reduce emissions. And Mr. Speaker, I'll simply close by saying, the leader of the fourth party is wrong. Emissions have gone down in BC despite a significant growth in our population. Thank we you. are reducing emissions on a per capita basis and on an actual basis, and we'll continue to do that you, while Minister. providing British Columbians with the programs and supports and support for families in terms of rebates and credits that we have been doing all along. Thank you, Minister. Government House Leader.
Uh, well, thanks, Mr. Speaker. Not the government House, sorry, opposition House leader. Brit British Columbia, uh, British Columbians know this. They know that they're paying a heck of a lot more. They're getting a lot less, and everything in the bro uh, province is broken at the moment. Mr. Speaker, the, 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 the item that British Columbians are struggling with the most is, is the affordability crisis, which has resulted in British Columbia being the least affordable jurisdiction in all of Canada. Now, as British Columbians uh, grapple with that, this Premier's uh, record high inflationary deficits keep piling up. But when it comes to giving uh, British Columbians a break, the coffers are bare. Now, here's a reality check. Private sector growth is what foots the bill. Leading and respected economists uh, Ken Peacock of the BC Business Council and Jock Finlayson of the ICBA report that job creation in the private sector has completely flatlined for the past five years. So my question is this, when will the Premier stop his record-setting inflationary deficits and recognize that it's actually a healthy, vibrant, growing private sector which provides the revenues necessary for government to invest in the health care, education and services that British Columbians depend on? Minister of Jobs, Economic Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member opposite for the question. But I frankly I completely reject the premise. Our economy continues to function well. 13.7% GDP increase 2017 to now. It is not correct that private sector jobs aren't growing at the same rate as public sector jobs. They're both growing strongly. It's true. We're making significant investments into the private sector in many different ways. Our biotech strategy, for example, supporting a new up-and-coming sector that's so important to the future of our province. We've made a direct investment to Abcelera, $75 million, $225 from the federal government, $400 from the individual company, for a $700 million investment, growing out 500 private sector jobs. <laughs> problem with the criticism of public sector jobs. Which jobs would they like to cut? Nursing jobs? Teachers? Firefighters? Let us know. Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, uh, the simple fact is that under, under the... Members. 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 Please continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the fact of the matter is this. Uh, according to Stats Canada numbers that were released for the month of, uh, of uh, October, uh, Stats Can yeah, numbers, government growth has wildly outpaced the private sector. Uh, in the month, uh, for the previous five years, this government has presided over the creation of 22,000 private sector jobs and 121,000 public sector jobs. Those are the, the numbers for the past five years. That's the, the record of this government. Now, under BC United, the previous five years of our government, we saw 10 private sector jobs for every one public sector job created. It was 26,000 versus 260,000. Members. 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 
Please continue. And, and you know, well, the, the job creation record of, of our former government is contrasted with uh, a whole range of, of spending pr uh, priorities of this government in areas like hiring 600 bureaucrats for the, uh, the nebulous aim of other budget priorities, as detailed in the last budget. Now, what British Columbia needs is not limitless growth of, uh, growth of government, but a private sector jobs plan. So the question to the Premier is this. When is this Premier going to wake up and realize that under the NDP, the backbone of our economy, the private sector, has been left to essentially flatline? Minister. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Thank you to the member opposite. I, I'm absolutely shocked that this member can stand up and defend a record that included the largest layoff of public sector workers, mostly women, mostly women of color. So you raised the uh, labour force survey numbers. Let's talk about the labour force survey numbers. Well, let me highlight a couple of things. First of all, 10,200 new construction jobs this month alone. The previous month, 12,600 new construction jobs. Our province has the highest average salary of any province in Canada, 35.58 per hour. created more than 40,000 jobs just this year alone. This economy remains strong. The inputs that this side of the House are putting in are working. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, it's not just the longtime highly respected economists like Jock Finlayson and Ken Peacock that are warning about a private sector that is flatlined under the NDP. They're also sounding the alarm bell about Clean BC plan that is secretly really a Kill BC plan, and perhaps the jobs minister should read their own government documents about the damage that that plan is going to do to the BC economy. This NDP scheme will roll BC's economy back by a decade, Mr. Speaker, drain $28 billion a year out of economic growth and cost each family $11,000 a year. Will the Premier acknowledge the truth behind his secret Kill BC plan and justify why he's content with erasing $11,000 per year from household incomes across British Columbia. Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. We do not have a secret plan. We have a very open and public plan to meet our climate targets in British Columbia to the benefit of British Columbians, to the benefit of North Americans, to the benefit of people around the world, because we saw this summer what the impacts on people are when there's extreme heat, when there's runaway forest fires, and when there's drought. And we saw the effect on the agriculture industry, and we saw the effect on other industries. It costs Members. literally billions Members. of dollars, and we cannot afford that. Mr. Speaker, let me speak to the so-called Business Council analysis of our Clean BC figures. They took the numbers out of context. 
that's been that has members, been refuted members. by other economists. Members, let's hear the they answer, please. They did a comparison. They did. Members. Members. They You're losing your own context. time. They members. did not understand, or if they did, they did not recognize. Members. Members, you're losing your own time. Minister, please continue. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Their numbers are based on 2017 as if we would never have ever taken another step to take action to fight climate change in this province. And if that's what the opposition stands for, British Columbians deserve to know it. Member for Abbotsford West. Abbotsford West. Uh, Mr. Speaker, my, my question is for the uh, Minister of Children and Families. Uh, far too often, uh, the Minister has been obliged to uh, stand in this house and uh, answer questions relating to the tragedy involving uh, the child in care. Today I'm going to ask her to take action to prevent a tragedy. Uh, my office was contacted, I was contacted on the weekend uh, by a foster family, uh, a long-standing foster family. They have taken in a young 14-year-old girl who has faced uh, far more challenges in her young life than, uh, uh, than anyone should. But she's found a, a family that uh, uh, where, she, uh, where she feels safe and, uh, and she feels loved. But uh, a different form of tragedy has followed her, and her, <coughs> her foster dad has uh, been diagnosed with cancer. And the prognosis isn't good. Later today, apparently, she's going to be contacted by someone in the ministry to uh, remove her from the family. She doesn't want to go. Her caseworker doesn't want her to go. Her teachers don't want her to go. But there's a policy. <clears throat> I, I tried to contact the minister's office, and, and, and I, was, I was told politely that uh, the minister doesn't intervene in, in uh, individual cases. But I need her to intervene. The 14-year-old needs the minister to intervene. Surely there is room. Surely we are here not just to apply policy blindly, but to bring some humanity to the circumstance. 
like this. So the question is a straightforward one. Will the minister call in the necessary people before this terrible conversation takes place and, and verify that for this 14-year-old, humanity means leaving her in the only home she's ever felt safe in? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you so much to the member for bringing this to my attention and for speaking so passionately on behalf of a family living in your community. Um, I absolutely hear your concern and your care for this family. Um, and I see that this is a very serious situation that you you're taking very seriously. You are right that as minister, I'm unable to get involved in family situations, in individual situations. We have a provincial director of child welfare who is responsible for the operations of the ministry and for the implementation of services under our act. Um, and so that is where the responsibility lies for actually being able to have a look at how policy is applied in individual circumstances. So now that this has been brought to my attention, um, I will be able to bring it to the attention of the provincial director of child welfare. What I can say is that in all circumstances, our staff are expected to put the best interests of children first. We know that children need to be safe and loved and nurtured. And what's really the most important thing for us here in British Columbia is to make sure that all children and youth are kept safely and are able to be are supported in order for them to thrive. And um, we will keep in all situations, we keep the children and youth at the centre of all decision making. So again, I thank the member for bringing this to my attention and, uh, and I thank you for your advocacy on behalf of this family. Thank you. The bell and the question period.